0: Well, we are glad you're back with us. If you have a minute, maybe you want to grab a Bible, a sheet of paper. Uh, If you've had a chance, you can go to the website, secondbaptistwaycross.com, Go under the section of Bible teachings. There's four headings up at the top there and look for doctrinal study. And you can print out the notes that uh, Clint and I have posted for this or look at them on your phone or whatever. They're in PDF form there on the website. So today we're going to talk about three topics. Um, Once again, we're using Herschel Hobbes' book, Fundamentals of Christianity. And uh, it's easily available on Amazon for 3 or $4 uh, if you'd like to get a copy. And if you're interested and you want to know what makes Baptists distinct and you want to hear it from somebody who uh, really was just trying to present it, and it's amazing because it was 60 years ago, um, but still extremely relevant mm-hmm. to, yeah. to us today. Um, it's very complicated topics and
1: brought it down to an everyday level where, we could, where, where those of us who didn't have a theological
0: training background, could yeah. still understand Yeah, so it's, it's a wonderful book, and, and I, I told Clinton this yesterday, I might, or last week, I even may have said on the video, but I was a little timid about, about using the book, um, because I've, you know some Baptists are a little more uh, antagonistic than others, and I've been pleasantly surprised by the way uh, he's presented here. So we're going to look at three things today, three different doctrines that are, are fundamental to our beliefs as Baptists and the doctrine of God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So you're with me for the first two. And Clint will chime in as we go. And then Clint's going to cover uh, the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because today we're actually talking about the Trinity, um, the God in one, although we're not going to, you know, especially approach that doctrine. One of the things that Mr. Hobbes said as he began on his chapter on God was this He said, The Bible does not argue the existence of God. It only declares his will and purpose and I think that's such an interesting way to start out this thing because we can get caught up in some really mundane arguments with people and we're gonna finish this when we get to Jesus and I want to just kind of provoke us to remember that ultimately it comes down to faith and Uh, and I'm going to do that at the end by reminding you that the same people that told Jesus to prove he was God by coming off the cross three days later paid soldiers to cover up the fact that his tomb was empty so it was never about seeing it was always about uh, their control of it and as he starts his topic he brings up this issue and I thought it was was so good he says the the danger of idolatry is to remake God in our own image now I grew up in the church my father was a pastor i've been in church my entire life and i've always heard that in a negative way that you know we remake god in our own image he's very lenient he's very whatever but we also remake god in our own image in the sense that maybe he's a rule follower he's strong-willed or self-made these idealistic things that maybe we get about ourselves and so i wanted us to think about it that way um, as well that we can remake god in our own image in, in a way that's serves us so uh, we're gonna look at names of God and he covers a couple pages with this and uh, as we did so I want to ask this question have you ever given consideration to where the names of God came from Uh, did God name himself Um, we actually do know that when Moses was speaking to God in the wilderness that God Moses said tell me who you are and God's response was I am that I am Uh, and tell him I am has sent you We'll look at that a little bit more later but the names of God and Mr. Hobbes is broken into three different uh, sections here but the names of God were given to him by people who experienced him who knew him who wrote about him and so there's general names there's Elohim uh, and these are just names that reference a, a most high being a, a great being the one who is on high and essentially there's so many observations of this in the Old Testament but these tell us that there is a God and like you said at the beginning the Bible doesn't argue the existence of God it only declares his will and purpose but then you get into the more relational names and this is so key for us to remember remind ourselves of this there's the name Adonai and the name Adonai essentially means Lord and it means ruler or protector and once you get into that you find out how these people are writing about someone they knew on a relational basis remember the names of god didn't just come out of thin air they had a purpose they had a meaning uh, behind them Uh, when you get into the relational names for the children of israel became yahweh or jehovah and this is a and the interesting thing about that is now you move from a a lord to a knowable relational so when the Jews spoke of Yahweh they spoke of the God who parted the Red Sea they spoke of the God who provided man in the wilderness they spoke of the God who spoke to Jacob in his dream they spoke to the God who wrestled with Jacob uh, when he was going back to face his brother and his father and so we're we're seeing a progression in the names here that, that we find out that God is knowable and he is a relational being which by the way is why when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. He says, you shall not take my name in vain. Uh, Because he is not some being somewhere. He is God who is present. He is God who is knowable. He is God who is relational. And I thought of an illustration of that. Uh, I'm I'm a sports fan. I like watching and enjoying sports. And I've often sat there in the stands and said, why did that coach make that call or watched on the TV or whatever? And, you know, why did the player do that? But you know what you wouldn't do? if you were sitting next to the coach's family you wouldn't say that if you were sitting next to the players family you probably wouldn't say that and the reason being is is now you have a relationship with that person and so and when Jesus when God says to Moses you shall not take my name in vain he is pointing to the fact that he is present with them and that he is a noble relational God and I thought it was interesting. I, I want to break in here as a retired
1: school teacher um, I had a real problem with students who learned from television and sometimes from home, I guess, to shout God's name out every time they got upset about something. You know, but they weren't talking to God; they were using it almost as a swear word.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a very... And, and I would ask those kids, I'd say, rather than shout my God, why don't you shout my in the name of your mama? And they would say, Oh no, I can't do that. Right. It's disrespectful. <laughs> so why are you shouting God's name? Now, I know as a school teacher, you're not supposed to talk about religion, but I just couldn't be quiet on that. And uh, and, and that's something that we parents and grandparents need to think about in our family life. That, you know, uh, a lot of us probably don't use that, but our kids are getting it off television. They're getting it at school and a lot of other places. We need to sit down with our kids and explain, this is why we don't do that. You know, it's not that you're gonna die and go to hell, but you need to understand respect for God. And, and these names showed respect for God and, and the things that he did for people. So I'm just throwing that in there. I,
0: I, that's a pet peeve, I guess. <laughs> well, and I mean, you get into this relational side of God and, and that is the point of this whole, of this of his doctrine that he's you know, trying to expose to us here is that God is not somewhere, you know, as the song says, somewhere out there. I mean, right. he is present. And so when you call his name, you're literally calling the name of someone, like he was saying, in the room or that you're relationally close to. Um, and and so it, it, it reveals when we do this, we talked about this some last week, it reveals when we do this, we have a very dualistic view of God mm-hmm. a lot of times. And we don't really see him as... As a present being, right, and that, that's a struggle for us.
1: It does, and
0: and back,
1: and I thought of this when Daniel first started talking about uh, how people, you know, uh, think of God and names of God and all that. A psychologist, a Christian psychologist, a long time ago, said that for many people, and I get, I think he's talking about people who are early on in their knowledge of who God is as, as their savior and all. He said uh, they often tend to look at God like they looked at their father which if they had a loving father, that's great, I guess, but if their father was uh, overly strict or maybe even abusive, then their their view of God is this harsh, judgmental, whatever. And now they they get past that if they continue to walk with the Lord, but I think it's important for us to understand we don't all start in the same place in how we view God. And these names, as we study them, help us to see a little more of the complete picture of who God is.
0: Yeah, and let me just give you just I'm just gonna read a few of them here, but I'm gonna spend any time discussing them because, you know, we could spend a long time. But you know, the word Jehovah, the the Hebrews knew him as Jehovah, which meant God is present, okay, God the provider. But then they used words, they added words to it. Jehovah Sabbath, he's the the host of armies. So they literally believed in the God who protected their armies. Okay? Well, what would we say today? God the financial planner. You know that that's a little bit of a stretch for us as as Westernized yeah. Christians. You know, God the retirement plan, um, but well, that's how they spoke of God.
1: But well, hopefully, He is if we're praying for Him to guide us in that absolutely
0: <laughs> or believing in Him. Yeah, you know, and not not in a foolishness. I mean, the Jews still marched out with the army; they still yeah. prepared, um, but they believed in a God who was greater than the armies, or, or was over the armies. Um, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. You know. Uh, Jehovah Rapha God who heals uh, these were names that they attached to God as they experienced him in their life and so uh, you know I was thinking just a couple of weeks ago I had an incident and, and you know I just kind of said yeah, you know Lord I don't know what to do and immediately had a, a, a solution come to mind you know Jehovah solution I mean God who God who gives and we're gonna get into that in just a minute and so I want to move on so that uh, we get into this but there are seven things that uh, mr. Herschel Hobbs lists as revealing seven things that we know about God and so I wanted to just list them for you they will be in the notes there will be some scriptures there for you to look at uh, to, to go over but uh, they are this uh, there's he calls them the seven natural ad- attributes of God and if you grab a book of this it's on page 31 but God is self-existence he he doesn't rely on anyone else for his existence or any other being Uh, God is immutable and that's a big word that we don't use a lot but basically it means this his character does not change Um, so going back to uh, this is good for me because uh, Joseph was arrogant God still revealed himself to Joseph Jacob was a swindler God still revealed himself to Jacob Uh, and, and so this character of God does not change um, it doesn't mean he's inflexible in his methods, it just means that who he is doesn't change, uh, God is omnipresent, Psalm 139 has become a very real psalm for me in the last month or so, uh, that God is present, and, and that psalm says this, it doesn't matter if you pass over the ocean it doesn't matter if you pass over the sea, it doesn't matter where you go, God is here with you uh, uh, God is immense, Isaiah 57 15 says he fills the whole earth the whole earth is full of uh, God is eternal he had no beginning and he has no end uh, or you can get hung up on that for a while if, if you want to my mind has in the past um, but there's some passages there for you to look at and, and when he speaks of God being eternal it means past present and future are equally known to him uh, God is omniscient Job 38 and 39 God says to Job, where were you when I created all these things I had the power I had the ability and uh, speaks about how foreknowledge um, does not predetermine a choice just because God knows all things it doesn't force you or I into a behavior uh, and that's something that we need to remember And by the way I have, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis there he says there are two realities those who say to God that will be done or those to him God says thy will And so the idea is that there is either the person that submits to God and says, your will be done, or there is the God, or is the person to whom God says to them, you have chosen your own way and your will be done. He gives us free will. Yeah, and we can get way off on that, but when you choose to believe that God has restricted us, then we get away from the entirety of what scripture reveals about God's love for mankind and how he desires for mankind to choose him they were made to reflect his glory uh, God is omnipotent he can do anything that, that is not inconsistent with His character it means he's all-powerful but there are things he cannot do because he will not do them uh, so those are seven of the what he calls the natural attributes of God but then he gets into the moral attributes of God and I thought this was so interesting so I'm gonna read one of his statements here and the four moral attributes are holy righteous love and truth Um, but I want to read something here talks about God is holy he says this holiness is God's supreme moral excellence and he goes on to talk about God's moral excellence but then he says this The word holy comes from a root word, which means to cut off, to separate, and hence to exalt. Thus, it speaks of a God that is separated from or exalted above other things. The word originally contained no moral meaning. We use the word holiness a lot of times in our life to describe things that we are doing and things that we are attempting to do. But the original meaning of the word holy was meaning he was completely separate. And what that means is he cannot be tainted by that. Um, if, if, if there were a trough of water in front of us here and and someone were to come in and pour in a substance in that water that entire water would be polluted by that substance but if there was another cup sitting off to the side and they did not pour into that cup that cup literally is holy it's set apart it's not in damaged or or in any right. way impacted by what happened over here right. this is the representation that God gives of himself to Isaiah in that he is set apart um, and the beauty of that is we're not and and because we know we're not we see how our character changes when our circumstances change when our situations change we might want to be kind we might want to be gentle but we've had a long day we've had these things and that those things stop God Himself is holy. He is not touched by those things, right. and therefore His character does not change. So, uh, so, Isaiah sixty-one or Isaiah six talks about Isaiah seeing the God high and lifted up. Uh, the second one is righteousness, the affirmation of what is right, what is good. Second uh, Corinthians five verse twenty-one says, "He who knew no sin became sin for us." Uh, God is love, love is relational, and love is is, is action towards. Uh, 1 John 4, 7-10 says, Love comes from God, and he who does not love does not know God. Uh, you can read that passage here. And then it talks about truth. And God is the source of all knowledge and all forms of knowing. In Romans 11, verse 33 says, How unsearchable is judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Uh, I want to prompt us here to think for just a minute because we're going to move into now the, the person of Jesus and ask ourselves this question. Do we believe that Jesus has all knowledge? I I was really struck by this a couple months ago. I I don't remember what I was listening to or watching. And one of the teachers said, you know, it's funny the number of economic professors who don't ask Jesus for help in economics, or the chemical engineers who don't ask for help in chemical engineering and he goes on and on he lists all these things and then he gets down to the you know behavioral standards that and and his point was so profound to me because we say god is all knowledge and then we literally don't ask him about hardly anything at all yeah other than solving a few of life's problems that generally we see as being way off somewhere anyways and we don't see him as impacting us Um, you can go read stories of medicine and and history and find men and women of god who say in that moment god gave me what they needed what they needed Uh, there's a current christian
1: song and i don't i'm not a music person y'all know that but i heard this on the radio uh one one part of this song and this guy singing and he said i was basically he said something like i was floating along unaware of the rocket that i had within me meaning the the power of god Mm -hmm. and the holy spirit and then something, hit had a spiritual awakening and boom, you know, you go, it's kind of like that. You know, we got the Lord who will help us, not just with our wife or our husband or our kids or our child, but, you know, if you're out there as a, a football coach, you know, and you should be praying, God, how do I, you know, how do I work with this kid right here? How do I work with all of these kids? How do I work with these parents? I mean, not just Lord, keep me from getting fussed out today. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to be deeper. There's more to it. And, the, and it's there. That resource is there.
0: So, as we move in now into uh, looking at the doctrine of Jesus, uh, once again, he deals with the names that are given to Jesus. Uh, some of them, uh, most of them, the general names were given in the Old Testament the Seed of a Woman, Genesis 3, Emmanuel, God with us, and Isaiah 7. But then we get into the more specific names um, Je- Jesus, so Jehovah, the God of salvation. And then Uh, his actual name Jesus which means Savior but I I want to remind us of something here and we're gonna look at this in a little bit more in depth in just a minute as we wrap up this this side of things before Clint talks about the Holy Spirit but he has a title and the word Christ is title so my name is Daniel Harding that's my name okay if you were to title me you might would call me dad or husband or a youth pastor or, or whatever that's a title The word Christ defines Jesus's function in reality and uh, as somebody who grew up English-speaking reading only an English Bible hearing that sometimes in the background I would just read Jesus Christ but every time the word Jesus is attached to the word Christ or as we're gonna look in just a few minutes they're attached sequentially the writer was doing that to make a double layer multi-point thing so every now and then I will write a a letter of recommendation for one of my students and when I do that I always give my title I always give my title and my function that I knew the student and the role I knew them in because that attaches the credence for the reason why I'm the one writing the letter and so when these writers say Jesus Christ or our Lord Jesus Christ or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord they are communicating multiple things in that besides, oh, here is this person. And so we'll look at that more. Just there around. may have been, and I have
1: read this somewhere in the past, a way of writing or saying that that may have been slightly more accurate is Jesus the Christ, mm-hmm. you know. Because what you're saying is Jesus Christ is the deeper meaning, you know, the word that goes there. Yeah, and
0: the word Christ literally means the Messiah. Right, and that's what I was talking. The trying. anointed one, the one who is coming. The one. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to dive into Greek because uh, last time I messed with Greek <laughs> was about 24 years ago. When my dad had this crazy idea I was going to be a pastor. But um, look how all that worked out. But anyways, <laughs> the articles that we use, A, N, and D, that I, if I'm right, they don't have that in their in their language. Right, so when right. it's Jesus Christ, it right. means Jesus you can very easily interpret it as Jesus the Christ um, so and I want to give you a couple examples of that 1st Corinthians 16 22 refers to our Lord Jesus Christ and when the when the Apostle Paul was writing that I want us to think of it this way if we read it this way the God we reverence and know Jesus the man we all knew and know as our personal Savior the one we know to be the Messiah God's anointed he says the lord jesus christ he's talking about remember the personal name of god the relational name of god the lord then he talks about jesus this actual human being who, who lived walked was crucified was rose from the rose from the dead and then he references the messiah the one who has come to fulfill all the promises of the old testament so, i mean this just i mean i just read it the lord jesus christ as his name but when Paul says that, he is saying layer, layer, layer. Um, and it's good to do that and, and remind ourselves of that. And uh, it's also interesting, one of the things I want to look at as we kind of get towards the end here. But Jesus, the name Jesus referred to himself as the most was Son of Man. Uh, it's the Son of Man. I'm, you say that, but it's the Son of Man. And I think that's. I, Herschel Hobbs points back to Daniel seven thirteen. I believe he's great in this because I believe that Jesus quoted so much around uh, Daniel's teachings because this Daniel would have been one of the greatest prophets of those um, Jews at the time they were all waiting for the restoration of the kingdom which Daniel had prophesied and the destruction of all the other kingdoms so that was really kind of part of the, yeah. the you know hand and uh, lock and key and so when Jesus calls himself son of man that's a reference back to Daniel seven thirteen when Daniel says, you know, basically all these empires stood up and they were all destroyed. And then I saw one as the Son of Man. Uh, and so Jesus is defining Himself as the one who was bringing the emperor empires of the world to a halt. And He did because He established His kingdom. He established it in His person. He said, "You know, kingdom of God is present, and you need to pray for the kingdom of God to come." Uh, and so and it's a kingdom. It's a kingdom that without end and
1: cannot be stunted, thwarted, killed, stopped, whatever word you want to use. And and you look across world history for the last 100 years, no matter what, various kings and emperors and chiefs and villages and government officials tried,
0: christian the Christian kingdom goes on. And so, it, and it does, I mean, it's like, I mean, I, Talking about, the, and, and it's a kingdom from within. yeah It's not an outside, you know, uh, authoritative right. kingdom. It's a kingdom from within. So we look at the doctrine of Jesus. What do we mean there? Well, we mean that God became flesh. Uh, we, and we refer to that as the incarnation. John 1 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. He was fully human. He grew uh, physically. He was hungry. He slept. He felt emotion, sympathy, empathy, loss, frustration, anger. All of those things. He was fully God. He claimed to be God. They said, Are you the Christ? And he says, Yes, I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. He claimed to be one with God. Uh, he exercised the power of God over nature. That power that only God knows because God knows the rules of nature. Uh, I always I had a bad mindset about this growing up. I thought that God twisted nature or stopped nature at that time. No, He simply knows all the laws of nature. And so within those laws, He caused his will to come about in those times Um, and then we have to look at the resurrection of Jesus because you have the incarnation God becoming human and then you have Jesus dying and so when we look at the resurrection I want to point us back to what I said at the beginning that when we talk about God uh, talk about making God in our own image if you remember Jesus was on the cross and they said come down on the cross and prove that you are the Christ Three days later, the tomb was empty, and the response was to pay the soldiers to not tell anyone that the tomb was empty. And so this is the reminder for us is that our relationship with Jesus will always be built on faith. It will always be built on believing that the tomb is empty, on believing that he stands and sits at the right hand of God the Father, on believing that he cares and shares in our sorrows. Um, And this isn't some theoretical belief it's waking up and putting one foot in front of the other Um, it's choosing life and it's choosing love and it's choosing joy and it's choosing peace and all those things that can only come through knowing the person of Jesus so so much more there but I think that gets us kind of squared away it's it's a lot to
1: cover in one video who who, trying to get a healthy view of who God is healthy view of Jesus fully man yet fully God Um, and then we come to the Holy Spirit and uh, I've taught the doctrine of Holy Spirit before and the time I taught it before it was a whole book about this thick and it took about a week <laughs> and uh, and there's no way we can cover everything here on even any one of these three parts of the Godhead uh, we just not we get it all in we can I mean they do whole seminary courses on this stuff oh, yeah. So. yeah but uh John 16 if you have your bible and want to look uh talking about the holy spirit John 16 Jesus is talking and uh he talks about to the disciples about the coming of the the holy spirit or the comforter and, and uh some of the things that he will do and uh I know we're what 35 minutes or so into this video and you know probably 25 Twenty-five. You're gonna edit something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, it, it, it'll it'll help your your ability to sit and listen if he edits. Uh, but on, first thing on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He 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 is a person, and uh, he's real. He's active. Uh, he's been here from the beginning. Go back to the creation story. He was there. All right. He's all the way through scripture. But a lot of people uh, they almost view it like the Star Wars force, you know. <clears throat> the force will be with you, you know. it uh, and, and and he's a he's a person. Now we as believers when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us, guides us, and does a ton of other stuff. And I want to look at this. He does the work of a person, though, and in in the book, I forgot the page numbers here, but uh, starting in the 50s in this book, 51-52, the Holy Spirit section, you can go through some of that. Uh, I want to tell you, some of you, I know you have a bunch of different Bibles in your home. If any of you have that Bible, the the study version called the Open Bible that had those... uh, 15, I think, lessons in between the Old and New Testament. There's a great one in there on the Holy Spirit. So if you have that, check that out too. The Holy Spirit does the work of a person. Look, this sounds like a person. Now look at this. He testifies. He reproves. He conquers, guides, strives, and helps. All right? That's what a person would do. And so that's how you need to view the Holy Spirit. Now, one of his primary roles is that of a comforter. And Jesus said that. He said, I'm going to send you the comforter. He knew these guys were about to face an awful time. But there's a lot more to it than that. Um, He's called our advocate, okay? But Jesus is also called our advocate. And so it's kind of a, and I, I drew a diagram once. I think I was working with youth at the time. Well, a little stick figure down here for us. And up here, there was a God symbol. And, you know, you got us praying to God in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's a Jesus right there turning looking at the father saying father this one belongs to to us you know but the other way god speaking to our hearts through the holy spirit so you've got one advocating one way one advocating the other way and it's a complete and healthy picture of how that relationship works it's overly simplistic i know but it it does work uh the holy spirit's uh i think one of the greatest things the holy spirit does is the regeneration of men He, he and John 3, let's go there. John 3, 5 and 6.
0: Um, this is Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus.
1: Yeah, Jesus is talking here and he says, Most assured, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's that Holy Spirit working, bringing about that rebirth, constantly knocking on the door. Hey, you need to listen. You need to listen. We open the door and he comes in and there's that rebirth that occurs and we become a new creation in Christ. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Um, greatest work the Lord does, convicting us of our sin, helping us to open our hearts in faith. I have uh, an example from the mission field that I love to give of how the Holy Spirit can work. We always think of people, you know, if we can just get on the church and they can listen to Brother Daniel or Derwin preach that they'll accept Christ, you know. Truthfully, the Holy Spirit is so powerful, he really doesn't need another man to speak to somebody. He can do it other ways.
0: We had a, a
1: man who eventually became a home missionary in Nigeria. He was from a very strong islamic group the holy spirit had been speaking to his heart he was troubled he knew something wasn't right in his religion and and he just couldn't get it all straight he's walking down the road one day and there is a gospel tract in his language that somebody has thrown out the window of a passing car i guess he picks it up he reads it the holy spirit takes that breaks in he opens his heart to Christ. He becomes a, a, a saved person and eventually became a home missionary to his people. So the Holy Spirit really does this great, great work of regeneration and, and convicting us of our sins. But he does something else, and it's very, very important. And Ephesians 1.13 talks about this. He seals us. Now, a lot of us here in America today, we don't really face persecution. We don't really face uh, that threat of being fired or beaten or lose, have your wife taken away and all this other stuff that happens to other parts of the world. But when the Holy Spirit seals a believer, he brings an assurance there and, I understand, and it helps that guy understand as he studies scripture that he is truly saved. He, God is truly with him. And there is nothing that these outside threats can do that will separate him from God, from the love of God. And when you face persecution, and for some of us, as we face death, I guess, we really need that. We need we need to know that we are sealed, we are safe, we are secure. And uh, so that's one of the roles and big roles that the Holy Spirit plays. And it kind of, you know, I have this little line on the handout there. And by the way, Daniel told you the handouts are there for y'all to, to use if you want to. Convicted, regenerated, sealed. You know, there's that process. Now, I'm oversimplifying this stuff, but that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. But what else does he do? All right, I got a a few things here. He does provide comfort in times of trouble and stress. He gives assurance and all of that. He can fix the world of the truth of Christ. Uh, They don't want to hear it. Many people fight against it, but he keeps working. He keeps working. And you find people, I think sometimes when we... When we see people in entertainment, we see people in government, we see people in, in the world around us who almost get violently reactive when we talk about the Lord, I think it's because they truly sense the Holy Spirit and standing at the door and, you know, hey, you need to listen. And they react to that. They're just not willing to take that step. Another big thing he does is he helps us understand spiritual things. Uh, scripture teaches us that, that in 1 Corinthians that that sometimes the Bible's hard to understand. Sometimes issues in life, as God works with us and through us and in us and all that, it's hard to understand what's going on. But the Holy Spirit's task is to help us to understand that. That's one of the things that he does. Of course, he glorifies Christ. All that he does glorifies Christ. And if you say, well, the Holy Spirit led, I I had a man one time. Somebody I had known as a youth, and I ran into him again. He was a grown man. He's married to a different woman than he had been the last time I'd seen him. And I asked him about it. And he said, well, I was married to so-and-so, but I met this woman, and I prayed that God would give me this woman as my wife. And he did. You know, the, and, and the Lord worked. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm like, no, wait a minute. That is not what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't work that way. God God himself doesn't work that way. He doesn't change to fit what we want. So anything the Holy Spirit does in your life, you look at who it glorifies. If you've prayed over it and you think the Holy Spirit's leading you this way and you look at all of that and you say, okay, who gets the glory out of that? Wait a minute, if you're getting the glory, Holy Spirit's not leading you. If God's getting the glory, Holy Spirit is leading you. Because that's all he does is glorify God. And that's a lot of people don't want to look at that. They want In fact, there's a lot about the Holy Spirit people don't like to study. One thing they do like to study is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You can get whole Bible studies on the fruit of the yeah. Holy Spirit. They have beat that one to death. But they don't want to look at the other roles of the Holy Spirit. You know, the convicting of sin, the, the uh, regeneration. They, they don't look at that. They don't look at he only glorifies Christ and not us. Uh, and then spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12, if you look over there, 1 Corinthians, uh, I'll the second 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, talks about the spiritual gifting that goes on. And there's a lot of different gifts listed there. I believe there might be nine listed in that, in that section. Mm-hmm. You know why a lot of people don't like to study the spiritual gifts because when you study the spiritual gifts and you admit to yourself yes i am gifted in that area then you've got to ask yourself why haven't i been doing anything why have i been just sitting at the house and sitting at the church and soaking it up why haven't i been using that gift there's kind of an accountability that comes with studying this and i think that's the work of the holy spirit and so a lot of people i rarely find anybody doing studies on spiritual gifts i find a lot of it on fruits of the spirit because a lot of people like to say yeah i'm patient <laughs> you know i'm, I'm long suffering i'm this i'm that you know but when it comes to yeah i've got the gift of so and so giving mercies whatever and i'm not using it there's they don't they back away yeah. from that so i've i've Kind of sped through a lot of stuff, but I'm really time conscious and I don't want to cause a problem with time.
0: Well, I want to go back to something. Yeah, go ahead. One of the things you mentioned earlier was that a lot of times we think that, you know, if we can get somebody physically present in a particular service or whatever, and I'm not saying at times that doesn't matter. I mean, because God may put a burden on your heart for this mm-hmm. person, this place, and this time. Yeah. Um, but uh, you talked about how, you know, a man walking in the street finds a track etc. Paul talks about that and he talks about it and uh, Christian and I actually told him this this past week We're talking about uh, sharing Christ with others uh, and we refer to it as the doctrine of reconciliation. Paul says we are called to reconcile people to Christ. Mm-hmm. Now we sometimes think that that reconciliation happens through these grinding gears where we just mash people into pulps and they realize, oh I need Jesus. I mean that's at least been the way I've gone about yeah. it or I've seen it gone about it. But reconciling, reconciling people to Christ, and I was, we mentioned this in our study last week, it's almost like we introduce people to Jesus. And there are times when I talk to God in prayer about someone as if he doesn't really know that person. Now, he knows them just like he knows me. But I tell him, hey, this person in their life right now, this, this, this angst or this pain or this frustration or whatever, or at least that's the way i see it and i, I i'm talking to god like i'm talking about my friend so if i were to introduce Clint to somebody later and say hey this is a guy who can help you in this area now you need to know this is what's going on in his life that's part of the doctrine of reconciliation that we do for the holy we do with the holy spirit for others yeah uh and i will say this if you if we will allow ourselves to begin to pray that way then we might be the vehicle that is responsible for that track laying in the gutter. And we might be the vehicle that is responsible for that person, you know, stopping at that place in that time of meeting those things. And uh, I believe that's one of the works that the Holy Spirit calls us into. Yeah. Praying for
1: the unknown. I agree, 100%. Um, folks, don't let talking about the Holy Spirit scare you. You know, uh, I'm a history person, and I know what happened uh, in many of our Baptist churches back in, I think it was the 60s into the 70s. When many Baptist people got, they wanted a freer form of worship. They went into charismatic Pentecostal churches, and everybody did. Kind of go, hey, Holy Spirit, you're over there now. We, ain't, you know, yeah. we're not tearing up our church. You know, don't don't go there. Go to Scripture. Study the Holy Spirit. There's one last point I want to make. I don't care how bad you think this world is today. The Holy Spirit is active around the world. And his influence in the world is kind of keeping a damper on things. 2 Thessalonians. Um, I can't even find 2 Thessalonians. I'm lost there. Well, I'm
0: in Timothy, so I by. I <laughs> Anyway,
1: 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 6 and 7. Go look at it. But this is my point. We're running out of time. Um, if you think this world is bad now, When the Holy Spirit is withdrawn from the world, and that day will come, it is going to be flat off. He is active in this world. He is active all around us. All right. And he keeps a damper on things as God is still working in this world. But when the believers leave, when the second coming occurs, it's going to be an awful place to be. You don't want to be there. You go study it and look at it yourself. Um, on the fruit of the, of the Spirit, uh, there in Galatians 5, if you go look at that, um, it is important. I didn't mean to make it sound like it wasn't important. But there's a lot more to study about the Holy Spirit than just the fruit of the Spirit. Um, there's, there are nine fruits, I think, listed there. Three of them talk about uh, the inner workings and our relationship with God. Three that talk about We relate to other people because of the first three the second three are affected by that and then uh, there are three there to talk about your life people are gonna be looking at you and how and you say I'm a believer I live for Jesus Christ and they're gonna be seeing these things and if they don't you probably need to do a a heart check something's not right spiritually I've summarized a lot of stuff Herschel Hobbs does a much better job Covering the doctrine of the Holy Spirit he is active and I keep saying he because yep. he isn't a, a he not a It, it's a being. Uh he is a being he is a person he is part of that Trinity and and Herschel really didn't do a chapter on the Trinity but he, he did these chapters on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and in there he points out that it is a Godhead a three-in-one and uh, um, I hope that you will take time to go and dig some of the stuff out and look at it uh, I think you'll grow from the experience and probably do a better job than we've done in trying to summarize stuff
0: and I realized I just said it's a being but the point I was trying to make is that you don't refer to something as an it once you know the reality of its yeah. existence Yeah. so you know for example you don't refer to a baby as an it right it's, it's either a baby or he or she or Personal name of the child, or and when someone does, we would look at that. My apologies. We would look at that and say that person has a problem Mm -hmm. if they continue referring to a child as just something. Right, right, Uh, right. And so the same is true of the Holy Spirit for us as believers. um, Wonderful way to kind of look at these three things and a lot of information there, but the idea is for us to say to you these are the basic things we believe as Baptists and to understand you know the role we believe that God plays the role that that we understand that Jesus plays and the role that the Holy Spirit plays uh, in our in our daily lives thank y'all we appreciate it we'll come back in just another week with one last study and uh, we'll talk about a couple more doctrines brother
1: Durr when I was talking to him at office he's going to be preaching on some of these topics and kind of tossing things together so he'll be here. Yeah. thank you very much